morning. My name is Nate, one of the pastors here. If you're a visitor with us, we're so glad that you've come and joined us. There are some mugs in the back, and there's a little card in there. I'd love for you to fill that out before you go today. That'll put you on our newsletter, uh, and, and the mug is just for you to, to enjoy some coffee. And also, every time you use it, just remember to, to pray for Mercy Hill. And so today, we are in Luke chapter 5. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. It's, if you've got one of our Bibles... Oh, is she okay? Oh. She's all right. Oh. All right. Go ahead and, and turn. Is she going to be okay? Is she okay? Okay. She's falling harder. Okay. All right. I know how that is as a, as a parent. It's no fun. All right. Luke chapter 5. If you've got one of our Bibles, page 559. Page 559. If you don't have a Bible of your own, feel free to take one of these with you. This is our gift to you. Page 559. We're going to be taking a look at Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12 is where we're at. And so if you haven't been with us, we've been walking through the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke together, and this is our favorite way to study the Bible, is just to walk through a whole book of the Bible. My goal this morning, as always, is not to just share some some funny stories with you or my opinions, but what we need most this morning, more than anything, is to hear from God's Word, to hear from Him. And so it's already been an amazing morning. I, I can't tell you how privileged I feel to just be a part of what God is doing here as we hear testimonies and, and uh, just all the symbolism of, of new life that God creates in the midst. And, and we're going to see that today in this passage. The book of Luke is written by a physician, written by his, a historian, and so he shares a ton of detail. And his main purpose in writing this gospel, as we've seen over and over is to show that Jesus is more than just a good teacher. He's more than just a a moral philosopher. Luke wants you to understand the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus so you would be more certain about what you've been taught about him. And so we've seen over and over that that Jesus is special, that, that his birth was miraculous. We saw that when he was a young child, he impressed the, the people in the temple, we saw at his baptism, the, the skies literally broke open. The Spirit descended on him as a dove, and God the Father spoke audibly, saying, this is my Son. He is the Son of God. This is not just a, an average person. We saw in the desert that he was able to, to fight off the temptation of, of Satan through the power of the Word. We saw that he has authority when he taught, that he commanded demons, even the demons would listen to him. He had power to to heal and even power over the animal kingdom. As last week we saw that fish were just about jumping into the boat on his command. Last week we saw that he calls his first disciples and they're willing to leave everything for him. The crowds are gathering, as you can imagine, and they're, they're, they're crowding him. Everybody wants to, to see Jesus, to be healed by Jesus. And so this week, Luke's going to share a very specific story of an encounter that Jesus had with a, a leper, somebody who had leprosy. We're going to talk about what that means, and we're going to see a miracle, but as just like last week, the miracle serves to teach a much more valuable lesson. This is not just him trying to impress people. He's trying to teach us something significant, so I want you to get that today. 
So let me pray one more time, and we're going to jump into this passage, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Father, I need your spirit right now to speak through me. Would you guard our hearts from distraction? Would you guard our hearts from anything false? Would you help? Would you help us hear not what we want to hear in this passage, but would you help us hear what you inspired Luke to write and communicate? Would we see your glory in it? Would we be, that we would be changed by it. That we would see you and worship you because you are worthy of our worship. I pray for those in this room right now that walk in here with just a feeling of guilt pressing down on them. I pray that through the gospel they would feel freedom for the first time ever. And they would rejoice because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read this passage together. Chapter 5, starting in verse 12. While he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he, Jesus, charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded, for proof, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to him to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would, would, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So what would it be like to have leprosy? I want you to think about that for a little bit. Leprosy, it's a brutal disease. It does still exist today in America. There's only... Less than a couple hundred uh, people who have it on a yearly basis here, and we've got medication, thankfully. But if you had leprosy back then, it wouldn't kill, the, the leprosy would not kill you, but you would want to be dead. You can have leprosy for years, and the symptoms won't start um, really showing themselves until later. The, the, the early symptoms include numbness they they you start losing the temptation or the the your ability to feel temperature you can put your hand on the the stove and it you you won't realize you're being burnt later on your your joints become inflamed and becomes painful uh, the deep pressure sensation you lose it and so you could actually break a finger or even an arm and not realize it right away or it might just feel weird you begin having blisters and, and rashes. Small ulcers start to develop. White spots all over your skin as your flesh begins to, to rot. Your eyelids lose the urge to blink. And so your, your eyes begin to, to dry out. 
In later stages, you become blind, and there's even some reports of people's eyeballs falling out. In later stages, you have large ulcerations. You you lose your hair. Your, Your fingers and your toes fall off, not because they've rotted, but because you don't realize they're broken and they have to get amputated before you you realize. You you don't take care of them. And at at the advanced stage, your your face starts to become disfigured. Your nose caves in. I've got a picture, and I'm going to warn you, this is a little bit grotesque. I've got a weak stomach. I apologize. I'm not trying to gross you out this morning, but I I want you to feel some compassion for this man who has approached Jesus. This man, it says was full of leprosy. You can take that off. (laughs) No other gospel writer shares that detail, that he was full of leprosy. But remember, Luke is a physician. He's going to notice those things. He's going to prone to make these medical observations. This was a man who was in the final stages of leprosy. He's probably dealt with this disease for years. You can have it for, for over 20 years. And in biblical times, There was no drugs, and because it was contagious, the only thing that they would do, the only thing that they could do is to quarantine you. You had to live a life of solitude. And so in Leviticus 13, it talks about leprosy, and it talks about what they would do if if there was an Israelite that that caught leprosy. The, The priest would have to diagnose the leper, and he would pronounce them either clean or unclean. And if they were diagnosed with leprosy and they were pronounced unclean from that moment on, they were religiously and ceremonially defiled. And that means they could not worship in the tabernacle or the temple. In Leviticus 13, verse 45, this is what it says. It says, the leprous person who has the disease, they, shall war- they need to wear torn clothes. They need to let their hair uh, and his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean. Unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. As a leper, you lived outside the camp, away from God's people, away from the presence of God. You were not acceptable before God. You would never be able to hold your children in your lap. You'd never be able to embrace your spouse or share tender moments around the dinner table. If you were out in public, can you imagine the shame as you had to walk around and cry out, unclean, unclean, so that people would know that you were approaching, getting getting near, and you'd see children and, and women screaming and running away from you. The historian Josephus, he describes lepers as, as the living dead. In Jerusalem, they were barred from the city altogether. If a leper came into the synagogue outside the city, he would he'd be rejected and sent into a small holding room until they could deal with him at a later time. Rabbis especially, they would pride themselves in avoiding lepers. One rabbi said he would, eat, he would not eat an egg purchased on a street where a leper had walked. Some people, would, they would carry around stones in their pocket just in case they would see a leper so they could throw a stone at them to keep their distance from them. And so the, this man... In our story, he breaks all the rules, doesn't he? He's so desperate and he knows, he's heard of Jesus. He's heard that Jesus can can heal. And so what does he do? He walks through the crowd and he falls on his face begging Jesus, if it's your will, will you heal me? No, he doesn't say, will you heal me, does he? He says, will you clean me? That's significant too. 
Which, by the way, that, that's the way that we ought to approach God and prayer ourselves with a, with a bold humility. We should be able to approach God and say, look, if it's your will, Lord, do the impossible in my life. Notice he doesn't ask for healing. Okay, so he asks Jesus to, to clean me. Now, sure, the leper wants to be physically healed. Don't get me wrong. But he understands that more important than his physical healing is that he would be spiritually cleansed. The defilement was worse than the disease. His primary need was not to be healed physically. It was to be accepted by God, and he understood that. Now, we don't use that, same, that language like clean and unclean like they do here in this passage. I mean, you probably didn't go to the grocery store this past week and buy some food and worry about whether or not it was considered kosher by the local rabbi. Okay, we, we don't think that way anymore, but if you were living in biblical times as a Jew, being clean and unclean, that was like your whole life. And I'm not talking about being, like, bathing regularly or eating healthy. This is how God put it. He's, he's talking to Aaron, the first high priest, and he says this as he, he's giving Aaron the law. He says, look, you are to distinguish, as a priest, you are to distinguish between what is holy and what is common. What, what is between the unclean and the clean? You see, in the Old Testament, to be unclean meant that you were spiritually defiled. That means that you were, if you were unclean, you were totally unacceptable to God. In the book of Leviticus, it lays out all of these rules about being clean and what's clean and what's unclean. There are certain foods, if you were a Jew, that were unclean. You were forbidden to eat them. If you touched a corpse, that would make you unclean. If, if you touched blood, if, if, uh, if you touch someone else that was unclean, that would make you unclean. If you had mold in your house, that could make you unclean. If you were a woman who uh, had, a, had a baby for a season, you would be unclean. And there were dozens of other rules like that. And so one of the questions that I've asked before, and I think many of you may be asking, okay, why did God set up all these strange rules? about being clean and unclean. What, what's the deal with that? Why, why do we have all these strange rules? Well, if you study the laws, what you're going to start to realize is that everything that makes a person unclean is something that reflects the effects of the curse of sin in this world. For example, uh, the, the, most, of the, most of the animals that were deemed unclean were either carnivores or they were scavengers, Okay? Animals didn't feed on other animals until after the curse. Bodies bled and developed disease like leprosy only after the curse. Mold and, and mildew uh, were visual evidences of decay, things that didn't happen until after the curse. The laws were put in place by God to remind the Israelites that they lived in a fallen world and they were a fallen people. They were also a constant reminder of the holiness of God. And so it was a reminder of their sinfulness and it was a reminder of God's holiness and that there, there was a gap there that they needed a bridge, they needed a savior. They were also given to the Israelites to help make them distinct from all the other nations in the world. They were, God gave them the law to say, look, this is how you ought to live as my representative here on earth. You, I am holy, so you should live holy lives. You need to live a life of purity, separated from pollution and separated from sin. And then finally, the laws were given to remind them that God constantly pours out his mercy on us. 
That God is in the business of making what is unclean, clean. And so you have all these sacrifices and all these rituals that you had to go through to go from unclean to clean. But that was good news for them, that you didn't have to stay in this unclean state. And so what Jesus is doing here with this leper was not simply healing him. There's something more going on. This is a great miracle, but he's not just trying to impress you. First of all, it says that Jesus touches the leper. He reaches out and he touches the leper. This is amazing. Okay, if you understand the law and leprosy, people didn't just do this, especially if you were a rabbi. In fact, the Greek word here for touch doesn't just mean like a light touch, like, ooh, I don't really want to touch you, but I'm going to. No, it was like a firm touch. It was like I'm gonna, uh, uh, even an embrace. And so Jesus embraces the, the untouchable. Jesus could have healed this man just by his word, too. He didn't have to touch the man, but he does, and there, there was a reason for it. Now, this man probably had not felt a human touch for years. In fact, we see in Mark's account of this story that Jesus was motivated by his compassion. So he reaches out and he touches I think the application for us is we should have that same kind of compassion. We should be willing to touch the untouchable. We should be willing to to love the unlovable. But even more, what's even more amazing is that when Jesus touches this, this leper, Jesus doesn't become unclean. The leper becomes clean. And what Luke is saying here is significant. He's saying, look, that Jesus is he's greater than any priest. A priest, they didn't have the power to, to cleanse a leper. A priest could only diagnose and, and then tell others that this is a leper. Jesus had the power not just to heal, but to clean, to make him acceptable to God. What a beautiful picture of the gospel, right? God moved by compassion, reaches out to touch the unclean. He's willing to identify himself with this leper, just like he's willing to identify himself with rebellious sinners like you and, my, you and me. He cleanses us of our sin. And so Jesus cleanses this man, and then what does he do? He tells him to do something, right? He tells him to, to go, don't tell anybody else, but go to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses had commanded. Now, to understand what's going on there, you've got to go back to the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 14, if you want to turn there, you can. Uh, I'm going to kind of summarize. what. There's a lot of details in that chapter, so I'm going to kind of summarize what happens there. But chapter 14 of Leviticus is God's recipe of what somebody has to do. If they're healed from leprosy, what they need to do to be able to be proclaimed clean by the priest. And it's really interesting. Well, first thing, if you have leprosy and you're healed... The first thing you need to do is you need to arrange a meeting with the priest, and the priest has to come outside the camp. Remember, you're not allowed to go inside the camp. And so the priest has to come to you, and he would examine you. Excuse me. And if you pass the exam and he deems you healed, he would take two birds, two clean birds. One of them he would sacrifice, and he would sacrifice the bird over a bowl that was filled with water. And the blood would drip into that bowl, and he would sprinkle that blood on you seven times. And then uh, he would dip the bird, the live bird, into that blood, and he would let that bird go free. And then after that, next you would uh, be pronounced clean, then you would be uh, allowed to go back into the camp. You would 
You would wash all of your clothes. You would shave off all of your hair, even your eyebrows. And you would bathe yourself in water, just like baptism. Then you could come back and camp. And you, 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 but here's the thing. You couldn't live inside your tent yet. Okay? You had to wait seven days. So you spent seven days outside of your tent. And then at the end of seven days, you'd be re-examined by the priest. You'd shave again. You'd bathe again. You'd wash your clothes again. And then the priest would take two male lambs and a ewe lamb without blemish, and he would sacrifice them as a guilt offering, and and there would also be a sin offering and a burnt offering on top of that to atone for you. And then he would take, and this is really interesting, he would take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and he would put it on the lobe of your right ear, on your right thumb, uh, and on the, the right big toe. And then lastly, he'd take some oil and do the same thing. Okay, really strange, right? Uh, why, why would he do all this? Well, of course, this is all symbolism. There's a ton of symbolism going on here. And if, you, if you're a believer, if you've been a believer, some of this probably sounds a little bit familiar to you. He was washed by the blood of a sacrifice as a reminder that death was the consequence of sin. A bird is set free, symbolizing that God takes away your sin, just, and this is very similar to the scapegoat, the goat that was let go on the Day of Atonement. A lamb without blemish was used, pointing to the perfect sacrifice that would one day come in, in Jesus. He bathes like baptism today, symbolizing the washing of sin. And when he was finished, what happens? He's given a whole new life, right? He's entered back into the community. He's given a new identity. He no longer has to walk around saying, unclean, unclean. And the, the blood on the earlobe and the, the thumb and the, the right toe, that was the same ceremony that the priest had to go through when he was consecrated into the priesthood. And it symbolized that his whole life was consecrated to God. It symbolized that, that look, his ear would always be attentive to the Lord. His hands would always be working for the Lord. His feet would always be walking with the Lord. And so Jesus tells this leper to go and present himself to the priest, to go through this process. And it reminds us, one, that Jesus is a Jew through and through. Okay, Jesus is a Jew through and through. He followed the law. But also we recognize that this is before the cross. Okay, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, he said. He came, so he didn't come to take away all the Old Testament rules. He came to fulfill them. And so when the When he died on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice, that was the fulfillment of these sacrifices. This is why we don't have to go and get sprinkled by a priest with blood. This is why we don't have to go and sacrifice animals anymore because his death on the cross atoned for our sins if you trust in him and repent of your sins. And so Jesus tells him to go and present yourself to the priest, but he says, don't tell anybody else. Don't tell anybody else about this. Okay, similar to what he said to the demon, just be quiet. And part of this is he didn't, and we see this actually in the Gospel of Mark, he goes into a little bit more detail about this. Now, the leper doesn't listen to, to Jesus at all. Okay, he doesn't obey Jesus here at all. He, he can't contain himself. He's like a, a, a husband who's, who's a, a a proud <laughs> guy who, who his, can't tell, stop telling people about his wife who's pregnant. He's like, a, he's like the, the 250 alumni or so from UMBC who 
who uh, I'm sure can't stop talking about the upset against Virginia. Um, there might be a few more than 250 alumni from there. But, I mean, he can't contain himself. This guy can't stop. I mean, think about it. He's ecstatic. For years, he hasn't been able to talk to anybody. Nobody's touched him. For years, he's had this painful disease. And now, in an instant, his life has changed as he met Jesus. When you fully understand what Jesus has done for you, you can't help but tell other people about it. You can't contain yourself. You see, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he makes it very clear that we are, we are all sinners. In other words, we are all spiritually unclean like this leper. But the good news is that Jesus can forgive you and cleanse you of your sins. That he came, lived a perfect life, never sinned himself, and he died on that cross as the perfect sacrifice to atone for our sin, to pay the penalty that we deserved. And he rose from the death, proving that he is truly the Son of God and that he can have, or that he does have power over sin and death. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. The author of Hebrews, he wrote this about Jesus. He says, and he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, God's glory, and the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power when he had made purification, or as he cleansed us of sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of high. There is no greater news in the universe than that. That it's not because of how how good you are or how hard you've worked to be a good person. It's not how many times you've come to church. It's because of what Jesus did on the, on the cross that saves you. Every other religion says you have to work your tail off to be acceptable to God. Christianity is different because it says, look, Christ did it for you, and what you need to do is trust in him. And then you're going to live for him, but your motivation is totally different now because it's not, you're not motivated because you fear God and you fear that he's not going to accept you. You're motivated to do and to obey God because you love him and you can't believe what he's done for you, that he's cleansed you and wiped away your sin. This former unclean leper couldn't stop talking about how Jesus had cleansed him. In fact, he told so many people that the the Gospel of Mark explains that the reason that Jesus had to go into a desolate place and pray is because there were so many people that kept wanting his attention. And it was a good reminder as I was reading this today that even Jesus needed to get away to get unplugged and, and rejuvenated and refueled with his Heavenly Father at times. He had a balance between work and rest. And his rest wasn't just chilling out in front of the TV. His rest was spending time before his heavenly father, communing with him, praying. What a great metaphor we've got here of what happens on the cross. He kind of switches places with the leper, doesn't he? The leper came from outside the camp, from isolation. We were all spiritual lepers at one point who lived in alienation and isolation from God. Then one day we meet Jesus, and he has compassion on us, and through faith and repentance, we were brought into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. He cleansed us from our sin, but the only way that we could be brought out of our isolation from God into the presence of God is by Jesus leaving the presence of God and going into isolation himself. 
That's exactly what happens on the cross. He was rejected. He was forsaken. He was treated as an outcast. He was dragged where? Outside the camp. Crucified. So that by his blood, we could be made clean. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could be accepted. So that we could be adopted as his children. My hope and my prayer that today, this passage, you you see that first of all, that, that God's Mercy is way bigger than just a physical healing here. Now Luke is saying, that, look, no matter, no matter how spiritually unclean you feel in this moment, Jesus can make you clean. No matter how spiritually dirty you come in here this morning, Jesus can make you clean. There is no one whose sin has put them beyond the reach of Jesus. You need simply to be like the leper in our story. Come to Jesus with humility, and ask him to forgive you of your sins. And then fully trust that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And then when you trust in him as your savior, we got a great picture of what that looks like today in the baptisms as we celebrate. This is what happens. He gives you a new life. That's what we saw. That's the symbolism of baptism. When you rise out of the water, you're given a new life. Just like this leper was given a new life, you're given a new identity. You're a child of God. You're cleansed by his blood. You're forgiven. And, and what a picture we have here with baptism. It's a symbol of new birth. And this is a way that we tell the world that my life is with Christ. I want to I consecrate my whole life to Christ. Not just my ear and my thumb and my toe, but my whole life belongs to Christ. I live for him now. And if you have never done that before, don't wait. You don't know what tomorrow holds. I pray that God would send his spirit to draw you to him this morning. If you've never trusted in Christ, I would encourage you to, like the leper, humble yourself and through prayer, ask your heavenly father for forgiveness. And he promises to give you a whole new life, to cleanse all of your sins. And that's a beautiful thing. So don't wait. If you have never done that before, today, make that decision. If you have trusted in Christ, if you've experienced the power of Christ's cleansing you of your sins, I would encourage you, never, never let the gospel get old in your life. Never, never let it just be something that you, you, you just get so used to that you, you stop caring about. Dig deeper every day into the gospel. Treasure what Christ has done for you. Live every moment for his glory. Worship him because he is worthy of our worship and tell everybody about what he's done to you and for you. Let's pray. Father, we do not deserve your mercy but we are here this morning begging for more of it because we know you are, the, you are the only one that can forgive us of our sins. You are our only hope, Lord. And so I pray that those in this room who do not yet know you as their Lord and Savior, that your spirit would convict them of their sin and they would run to you out of desperation like this leper, pleading for forgiveness and trusting, relying fully on you and what you've done on the cross to save them. And they would live for you. And I pray that all of us would rejoice 
and the cleansing power of your blood and that we would tell the world of what you've done for us. There is no greater news. In Jesus' name, amen.